The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. We are live today. If you're keeping track, this is Season 3, Episode number 6, and it's Monday, October 13th, 2014. It's going to be Lucky Monday, I can tell. Our topic today is something that covers, uh, it, it affects everybody, every company. It's attrition, battling attrition, how to keep good, and I'll add to that good, better, best employees. So let me get started. With our overview here. The buzz today, turnover. Oh no. Well, employee attrition is a fact of life. It's staring your HR team in the eye more often than it used to because of things like escalating job mobility. Social recruiting, we'll talk about that. Talent poaching, ooh, sounds sinister. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. You know every employee is going to leave at some point, but it can become truly painful for your organization when your prized top talents are the ones jumping ship so quietly there's not even a whisper or a rumor preceding their departure, and you're shocked. The goal for your HR team, we know, isn't to prevent all turnover. Some of it actually may be good, but to prevent the unplanned, unmanaged kind of turnover. We're going to talk today about how today's successful companies are enticing their most valued human capital to stay. But first, I want to read a little excerpt from an article by Josh Burson, a Burson and Associates who was a guest on SAP Game Changers Radio about a year ago. And his, his topic, this dates back to August 16, 2013. Employee retention, now a big issue. Why the tide has turned? And Josh Burson says, I can tell the economy is recovering. We're suddenly seeing companies tell us that employee retention has been become a critical issue. And then he goes on to say, turnover rates in some industries like retail, customer service, and hospitality are 30-40% are common and sometimes even acceptable. But what can companies do to stop the top employees from leaving? So let me now tell you about our experts on today's show. Both of them are veterans of SAP Game Changers Radio. I'm so pleased to welcome them back. First up, we're going to introduce China Gorman. She's the CEO of Great Place to Work. And China has sent me a quote from from, you know who, Albert Einstein. He's the most quoted person living or dead on all of our <laughs> SAP Game Changers radio shows. And China sent me this quote from Dear Albert. I think I, maybe we'll call him Uncle Albert. He's here so often. Strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. China Gorman, welcome back. How are you? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. Happy Columbus Day. Oh, thank you. Yes, goes without saying. Well, I didn't say it, so happy Columbus Day. So we probably, some people probably think, what are you guys working on Columbus Day? Well, we're global. We do. What can I tell you? So, so let's make it worth our while. China, interesting quote from Albert Einstein. How does this apply to our topic of attrition, battling attrition? What do you think? Well, I think it's a, a quote striving to be a success, um, not 
a success, but rather to be of value, applies to both sides of the employment equation. To employers, um, they want to be of value to the, all their stakeholders, including their employees, which would incent them to probably stay longer. And for employees, the key to longevity um, and effectiveness is creating value. So I think it, it sort of changes the dynamic of the conversation and the relationship between employer and employee if, if we're all thinking in terms of value instead of something else. Okay, so China, I'm going to ask you the the topical question is uh, similar to what I mentioned in Josh Burson's article. Are you observing from your your position as the CEO of Great Place to Work? Are you observing a rise in attrition in some industries, not in some industries? Is it pervasive? Is it global? Just give us a little overview, and then we'll go on to our next guest. Go ahead, China. Well, um, the data that we collect at Great Place to Work uh, all over all over the world frankly, millions of employees every year and thousands and thousands of companies, is that among those companies that truly are focused on creating great workplaces, in fact, turnover is going down. Um, And Steve would know that because Salesforce.com is number seven on the 100 best companies to work for list in 2014 published by uh, Fortune magazine. So what we're seeing actually in really great workplace cultures is that compared to industry averages, in fact, retention's going up and turnover's going down. Well, that's got to be good news. And by the way, the Steve you mentioned is Dr. Stephen Hunt, Senior VP of Customer Value at Success Factors. And Steve was on with me just a couple weeks ago. And Steve, I'm delighted to have you back again and again and again. And Steve sent me the following quote. And this is a Stephen Hunt original, I believe. People don't necessarily want to leave their company after two years, but you may need to create a compelling reason to stay. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Steve Hunt. How are you today? Good. Good. Really good. Thanks, Bonnie. Good to have you. So talk to me. How compelling does this reason have to be? And, and I mentioned some factors in my opening, Steve. I talked about job mobility, social recruiting, talent poaching. You want to give us a little overview of some of those forces that are pulling them out the door? Yeah. I mean, what we have now is a couple things. Um, one, we have a much more fluid sort of employment employer relationship, you know, the whole idea of sort of loyalty to a company is, it's pretty much gone. People don't expect companies to be loyal to them too much, and, you know, and as a result, they're not that loyal to the companies. Um, Now, that being said, people actually, I think they like to work for a company they identify for, but they don't really feel a need to. There's no what's called continuance commitment in the psychological literature that I should continue just because I should continue. So you've kind of got people more willing to sort of change jobs if it makes sense. The other thing that's happening, and we're seeing this especially, I think this is important, in skilled occupations is there is a really, really big shortage of skilled, high-performing professional employees. And they can work now anywhere in the world very often. So there's no... If they don't like what they're doing, it's really easy for them to go somewhere else. Now, that being said, people don't necessarily want to change. They don't want to, there, there are some people, there's big individual differences in this. There are some people that kind of like to change just for the sake of change. But I think once you get to people that are more in their mid-careers, so people in their 30s and 40s, and by the way, um, the millennials, everyone talks about turn 35, the oldest millennials turn 35 next year. So they're not that young. Wow. Wow. That's a revelation. I'm, I'm glad you level set for us. Okay. They, you know, th- these people have other things going on in life, and they're not necessarily looking to create more disruption and change in their jobs. But that said, if their jobs aren't giving them what they want, there's no penalty for changing, so why not change? So I think that's the main point I was made. It's not that 
this idea that people want to job hop, I think that's somewhat true in the early 20s, but it's not true when people get, old, get older on, I would argue. Um, it's more they have no reason not to job hop if the jobs they've got don't give them a reason to stay there. Interesting. So they're feeling that it's a buyer's market and not a seller's market. They're the, they're the one with the job and they want to buy the job that makes them happy. Steve, would you say you're talking about it's more likely in the 20s and not in the older years to want to jump jobs. I was going to ask you if there's something called job hunt, jobbers ADD, meaning, yeah, I've been here, you know, the old uh, China, and you know this and Steve know this, we used to call it, you were the, pardon me, not meaning, meaning to do anything gender wise, but used to be a company man. You'd take the job and you'd take the benefits and you'd be there your whole life and you never thought of leaving. Well, now, who has a job for life? Who wants a job for life? The new mindset, I believe, and, and either one of you or both, please tell me if this is more common today, is, yeah, it's an exciting adventure out there. I can get better benefits. I can get better salary. I can maybe travel around the world. I can use my job to infuse my life with excitement if I just keep changing every couple of years. China, what do you see? That sounds like an ad for the military, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Join the Army and see the world. Forgive me. Forgive me. Exactly. I I, I do. I I think there is some truth to what you say, but but our research also shows um, that it's not so much excitement that people are craving. It's really meaning. Mm -hmm. um, They want to be proud of the work that they do, and they they want to do it in an environment where they really like the team that they're working with. And most of all, they want to do it in an organization where they trust the leaders to be competent, to respect the employees, to be open and transparent, um, to be grateful for the work of, of their employees, and that they want meaning in their lives. And so I think what we're seeing um, throughout the generations and, and the things that I just talked about, trust and meaning and, you know, a strong sense of camaraderie, aren't just important to millennials or, you know, to the, to the other generations. They're really important to everybody. They manifest themselves in different ways. And perhaps meaning is more important when you're younger and it might motivate action more than when you're older and have kids that are saving for college and have mortgages and car payments and those kinds of things. Remember, an awful lot of the of the younger part of that millennial cohort are still living with their parents and paying off college loans. So meaning is absolutely important, and it probably motivates action, sort of whether to stay or to begin to look elsewhere. Um, but we're also looking at, at that, that the particularly the younger part of the millennial cohort who've got more debt than, you know, that age group ever has before. And so that also becomes a demotivator for moving if you've gotten into an organization and are kind of, you know, moving up and, and, uh, and creating some stability and some financial future for yourself. China, I, I'm going to ask Steve this question. The concept of wanting meaning and feeling that we deserve to have meaning in our work life, which infuses our, our entire life. Steve, is this a concept that is rubbing off from the millennials to older workers, and I'll say anybody 40s, 50s, 60s, the boomers, um, all the way up there, we didn't come into the workforce expecting our job would have meaning. We expected security in a paycheck, yeah. some acknowledgement, right, Steve? 
Yeah, well, I think the big difference is the labor market's changing. It's not that people didn't want meaning, they just didn't think they could get it. Um, exactly. I sometimes joke that, you know, if you graduated with an engineering degree in the 1970s, you know, basically companies like <clears throat> IBM at the time, for example, they knew that there were more engineers looking for jobs than there were engineering jobs available. So their employment value proposition could be, we have money, you don't. If you want some of our money, you'll do what we tell you. Line up. And, there's, and you know, wow, there's five, six different companies that are all looking to hire me. Um, either you know this explicitly or sort of implicitly, and suddenly you can say, hey, I'm going to ask for more. I, I, you know, you say, no, I don't want to move. I want to live in some certain place, or I want to do a certain kind of work. So it's, it's not that people didn't want it in the 1970s. They just didn't expect they could get it because the labor market was much different. Now, because of sort of the fact that we didn't have a lot of kids in the 70s, um, variety with the, we've talked about this before in an earlier Game Changers, you know, the increase in sort of the demand for skilled occupations. And this is the important thing. We're talking about skilled labor here. It's a totally different world on unskilled labor. On skilled labor, um, you know, they can, people can get more. So I think that's why there's more discussion about meaning. It's not that people didn't want meaningful jobs before. They just didn't have it. It's sort of a luxury. It's a luxury you mm-hmm. can ask for when you're in a buyer's market for employees. Um, I think, you know, one of the things, so I don't think it's careful here, though, that it doesn't mean people don't think money is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money is very important. Reality check, yes. Yeah, just sort of uh, the way I talk about it sometimes is I say most, I would say most people, it's not like they're super motivated that I want to make as much money as I possibly can. But if the money gets below a certain level, it's really a sign of disrespect. Yeah. You're not respecting yes. the contributions employees yes. are providing. And as soon as you, they feel that they're not being respected and appreciated, then they're going to start looking outside. And there's a lot of research on this, that people don't tend to just quit all of a sudden. What happens is something triggers the company to make them think, you know, maybe I should look around somewhere else. But in this market, as soon as they start looking around somewhere else, if they're one of these high-performing, high-skilled employees, there's going to be people all over them saying, hey, we'll give you meaning and money, and then you're going to see them leave. Interesting. I'm, I want to ask both of you what's in your cup today because you know this uh, HR Trends is part of Coffee Break with Game Changers. But I, I want to read just a couple notes here to both of you and, and to our audience. I was looking up attrition in high-tech field, attrition in IT jobs. And this was a post on Quora. Quora is the best answer to any question. That's how they they uh, write up their website. So it's Q-U-O-R-A.com. And the article was, What Leads to a Higher Attrition Rate for Software Engineers? I'm just going to read this. It looks like a rant. Uh, I'll just read a couple sentences that we can have a have a giggle. And then I'm going to ask China what's in her cup today. This person says... Uh, because our current company doesn't appreciate our genius, because the company over there is so much smarter about how they make software, and because they're innovative in comparison to the dumb ways we do things, we're always in a crunch, and they're so much more organized, because they get free lunches, and our company doesn't listen to our great ideas, because they told us they'd make a lot more with really significant equity, and we can't believe that where we are now, they use technology, for God's sake, and because they have different chairs, and they give each hire $5,000 for equipment, and working here. We're working here with a two-year-old hand-me-down computer, etc. <laughs> wow, that is a rant. wow. That that is a rant. So I'm gonna. I'm just. Let's get the pause that refreshes here. We can go back to that later. China Gorman, where are you calling from today? What are you drinking? Or what are you going to drink after the show? Tell me. I am in my home office in Las Vegas, where it's a gorgeous, gorgeous fall day. I've got Starbucks Sumatra in my cup, 
And because I'm headed out to London this afternoon, I will probably have another. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we're going to say drink up. That's good, China. Thank you very much. Steve Hunt, I know you keep recycling through these story, uh, coffee stories because we have you on so often. So you got anything interesting and fresh for us today? What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking no pressure. coffee from Portland, Oregon, where I live, and I actually happen to be today. So Nice. What's the weather out there? You know, I was in Eugene for many years. What's the weather in Portland? Uh, it's a nice fall day. It's uh, We're getting ready for the rains to start coming, <laughs> but they're not here Ah, I remember, I remember the petroleum jelly T-shirts we used to wear. Yes, yes, yes. You have to keep from rusting in the summer, China. That's what we used to say out there. I know. Listen, I have to give China Gorman and Steve Hunt, they're carrying the whole weight here on the show today. We are talking about battling attrition, how to keep good employees. I will amend that to say good, better, best employees, your top human talent, your top human resources. You don't want them walking out the door, especially not upending the flow of your company and surprising you. So we're going to get some good tips and insights from China Gorman, the CEO of Great Place to Work, and Dr. Stephen Hunt, Senior VP of Customer Value at Success Factors. By the way, I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here on this Columbus Day 2014. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Welcome back, and we're talking today about battling attrition, how to keep good employees. We're talking attrition versus retention, and we'd like to end up with many, many ways for you to 
err on the side of retention and not be surprised by so much attrition. I did a little research. I mentioned in the opening I found an article by Josh Burson on LinkedIn, and part of the article he wrote says that many studies show the total cost of losing an employee can range from tens of thousands of dollars to, wait for this now, one and a half to two times annual salary. That can really add up. I'm just going to give a quick list here, and then I'm going to ask China Gorman and Steve Hunt to tell me which of these they think top the list of the most important values that an employer does not want to have to incur the risk. So I know that was inside out, but you get my point. Consider the total real cost of losing an employee. So Josh Burson says, the cost of hiring a new person, you've got advertising, interviewing, screening, hiring. Cost of onboarding, you've got training, you've got management time, lost productivity. Sometimes it takes up to two years for a new employee to reach the productivity effectiveness level of the one who left. Lost engagement, other employees see high turnover, they disengage, and they don't want to work quite so hard. Customer service and errors. We talk about training costs. It could be two to three years to effectively train the new person. And cultural impact. Everybody else says, why are they leaving? Why are so many people leaving? China Gorman, I just went through this laundry list. Does anything stand out to you of most important that employers today should be paying exceptional attention to in terms of the cost of attrition? Well, I think every single one of those points is exactly right on. The The value of each of those, you know, is higher or lower, um, probably based on the industry and the level of the employee who's been lost and the, as as um, Steve was saying, the, the special skill sets that, that were lost. There's no question that, that turnover is um, when you lose a high-performing um, uh, employee that, that it's more than replacing a job. Um, probably two of the things, the, the productivity and the, the engagement slash cultural impact, um, those, those are the two big ones. If a high-performing, mm-hmm. popular employee leaves, Everybody else starts to think, well, if, gee, if Mary left, what does she know that I don't know? And you begin to see, you know, other employees sort of stepping back and maybe considering their options. Many times, um, one, one employee leaving leads to more employees leaving, which then just snowballs the impact around training and customer service and um, the expenses of, of filling these positions Keeping, you know, keeping the workflow going, keeping leadership in the loop. Um, one person leaving is bad um, and can be very can be very challenging if it's not the right person. Uh, if it starts a snowball, a, a chain of, uh, you know, a chain effect um, that can put a department, uh, a location, uh, a function down for some time, impacting the entire organization. Thank you, China. Steve Hunt, thoughts. Yeah, well, I would, I would definitely agree with that and sort of build on it. I mean, I've seen some interesting research on what happens when people leave is it creates increased pressure on other people in the organization because they've got to pick that slack up, which increases their stress, which increases their desire to maybe consider leaving. And you can very quickly have sort of this downward spiral. Um, you know, one person leaves and that triggers other people to leave. And there's also things that are lost that I think are really important in this fast-moving business environment that aren't really fully appreciated. When somebody leaves, they take all of the relationships that they've developed, mm-hmm. often across a complex network. Mm-hmm. There's no way to really yes. capture those. Um, sort of that institutional knowledge, um, who to go to. And when you're working in companies that are very fluid and dynamic markets, that's a huge loss. Um, and it's, it's one of the things we can't really measure well, though. 
Interesting. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, I'm just thinking uh, like so many law shows on TV, Steve, and, and China, and, and I watch The Good Wife, and when somebody starts their own firm, they poach clients, and they take the mm-hmm. client, and then the big battle begins. So mm-hmm. loyalty, not only in the company, but loyalty of the people who enjoy working with that person. They want to be with that person. They want to continue to work with them, and then clients and suppliers have to assess whether it's worth taking the jump with them. I want to read a, a little note here from, I, I looked up, dnaindia.com and uh, just to drop a little statistic here, IT company biggies gear up to stem rising attrition. Despite, and this is India, despite the four big four IT firms reporting fourth quarter earnings ahead of market expectations, one area of concern in particular across these companies was that the high attrition rate in the quarter, and they're mentioning firms we know, TCS, Infosys, HCL Technologies, and Wipro. Uh, very, very interesting, and they were saying that the attrition late Rate was 18.1, and now it's escalated to 18.7, and it's serious. It's something very serious. So this is definitely a newsmaking topic, which is why we're covering it. Uh, let's turn to mobility. This is a big thing. I want to cover it in terms of how can you change jobs without leaving the company? How about getting mobility in terms of China? As you said, that Army recruiter ad I almost gave is join the company and see the world. Well, maybe you can if you ask for it. So China, once you kick us off with mobility, can be key. Sometimes employees want to stay in the same company but not in the same job. China Gorman? Well, that's a really positive thing. Mm -hmm. And um, we see that in really strong workplace cultures where, where the commitment is to the work and to the mission of the organization. And if your commitment is to the mission of the organization and you're in an organization that supports your development, then your ability to move around, whether it's from, you know, department to department or location to location, um, just, just grows. And so many people are looking at the organization they're in if they have a strong sense of congruity with the organization's mission and they're feeling respected, as you said earlier, they're, they're feeling respected by the management, the, the leadership of the organization, and feel that they are being appropriately, not over, but appropriately compensated um, and, and recognized for their achievements. You know, it's interesting. I, I saw some research last year um, by Achievers uh that that um they they survey every year um young people about to graduate from college and enter the economy really for the first time and one of the questions they ask uh to these young people is when you take your first job after school how long do you expect how long do you expect to stay with your first employer mm-hmm. and 50 50% or more uh of those young people say 5 years or more and the average when they leave is 18 months. So something happens once wow. they join an organization where they expected to stay five years or more, and it's an astonishing amount, something like 40%, like eight years or more. But something happens in the calculus once they join, and they're gone in sort of the, the equivalent of gone in 60 seconds. They're gone yeah. in on average, 18 months. And so this is a huge opportunity for employers as they're working on their culture and as they're working on their employee value proposition to make sure that the conversations that they have and the promises that they make and the expectations that they create in the hiring process are actually grounded in reality and will 
and these new employees will actually experience that. Um, I think it all comes, the mobility piece all comes back to the culture and the organization's ability to help develop skills, help develop um, competencies of young people, middle-aged folks, older folks, so that that, so that, that tenure is within the company, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the job. Good, good point. Steve Hunt, I want to read a quote you sent me in your talking points, which will go to this point China's making. You said one of your early managers told you on the first day of your job, and he said, Steve, if I hired the right person, you won't be doing this job in three years. And he explained mm-hmm. that he hired you because he believed you had the potential to excel at the job and move on to new as yet undefined career opportunities. So he saw a lot of promise. Obviously, he was right. He said he didn't want to hire people who didn't have a hunger to grow their careers. So Steve Steve, how do we reconcile this with what China said and, and with our topic today of battling attrition? Talk to me. Well, I think the, the key thing is to view people as changing and to assume mm-hmm. that you're not going to have somebody doing the same thing in five years that they're doing now. And that's true in almost any professional skilled job, that, that they do change over time. And so one of the things is recognizing that you can change jobs without changing companies. And when people have sort of this loyalty to their profession and their career, as long as they see their profession and career advancing, I don't think they're going to want to necessarily change companies because, again, there's a lot of things that they value the relationships they have. If the company has a mission, as China was said, that they can identify with, it's not that people necessarily want to change their companies, but they're not going to tolerate stagnating. And I'm really, what I think what's important, too, is we're really talking about high-performing employees here. There's some mm-hmm. really interesting research I saw a few years ago that said, that what people want from a job differs depending on the performance level they're at. High-performing professional and people are very much driven by making an impact, having a job that supports them and allows them to grow. People that aren't performing as high, sometimes they're driven by more sort of the creature comforts of their job. So, you know, I think that's one of the um, things that's important when you are looking at retention, that it's not the same for people on the low end of the scale than the high end of the scale. But let's, I think we want to focus on the high performers. So I think it's this idea, though, that of helping people, you know, constantly be evolving, constantly be changing, and recognize that. I do think one of the challenges in China, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, where it becomes difficult is what people want from a job changes as they go through different career stages in life. Mm-hmm. And... What you want when you're first starting a career, whether you're 22 or 42, when you feel like maybe you've started a new career at 42, you're looking mm-hmm. for a lot of growth, typical, a lot of change. And then when you get a lot farther into a career, if you have children, things like that, suddenly you may want a different kind of environment. And I think a lot of companies, what they really struggle with is when people go through a change in their career stage, they have a difficulty keeping those people engaged because suddenly the person feels, well, the job that I had is not the job that I want going forward. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's like a real challenge for organizations to figure out how do we adapt the work environment to keep employees who suddenly basically have changed what they want from a job because their career stage has changed. And I don't know, China, do you have any good examples of how people look at companies that have done that well? Well, I can, I can talk from a, from an organizational perspective. What we see amongst the great workplaces all over the world is a really, really strong and actually growing focus on developing their employees. And I think that speaks to the different stages of an employee's life and how that impacts 
um, the different stages of their career when they when they're going to you know put their foot on the pedal uh, and when they're going to pull it off a little bit and and maybe go a little a little slower and that you know it goes <laughs> it goes down to the floorboards and it comes up you know several times um, perhaps in in careers and what we saw. Um, and I found this just um, really interesting. What we saw from the 100 best companies in the U.S. this year was that the average annual training and development time for salaried employees was 73 hours a year. For hourly hourly employees, it was 58 hours a year. Not that big a difference. Um, mm-hmm. Of the 100 best, 88 offered tuition reimbursement, and this was the staggering number for me, the average tuition reimbursement available to each employee every year in those 88 of the 100 best was almost $7,400. That's a huge investment. And so as development becomes a strong motivation for employers in keeping their workforce so that it can continue to develop and be deployed when and where and as they need it, that continues to drive retention up and, and turnover down, and we, we've certainly seen that in the 100 best, not just in the U.S., but, but really all over the world. And so one of the ways organizations are really looking at um, keeping those high-level, those, those high-performing employees and perhaps even moving some of the non-high-performing employees into the high-performing employees bucket is to invest in invest in their development in significant kinds of ways. Um, that's an employer response uh, to the to the issue, I think. Um, and mobility is at the heart of it. If you continue to invest in your employees and their skills and competencies, in fact, do grow, they are able to be deployed into other jobs, other locations, maybe even other countries, to keep them engaged in the work um, and working on the mission of the organization. Yeah. Bonnie, I don't know if I can just build yeah. on that because I think please do. Yep. Yeah, China, what you're saying there, which I think is so interesting, because there often is a fallacy. People say, "Well, why should we develop employees, and I'll just go work somewhere else?" Mm-hmm. But if you're a company that really develops employees and then gives them chances to use those skills, that's what keeps employees engaged. So the very thing that, on one hand, say, "Well, that's going to create a retention risk," actually is the very thing that engages them. Which so is it's a double. It's, it's a yeah. double-edged sword. You, yeah, you got, you got to be in it to win it. I want to bring up something uh, in China's notes here, and have both of you respond. China says employees with great supervisors often stay longer. How do we define a great supervisor? China first, then Steve. Well, um, a few minutes ago, I talked about you know kind of the de- definition of a great workplace culture where employees trust mm-hmm. their leadership. Where they, where the work they do gives them meaning, they're proud of it, and they have a great relationship um, with their coworkers. The manager is the one that is the link between senior management and the employees. The manager is the one who's able to really encourage, develop, and support the feeling of, you know, I've got your back, you've got my back. We're a, we're a work unit. Where it falls down, and, and what I've said a number of times. Um, with our clients along the way is that the manager, the supervisor, the person who has the most direct contact with the employees, they're the tip of the spear for everything in an organization, whether we're talking communication, whether we're talking training, whether we're talking employees feel respected, employees feel appreciated, uh, employees have opportunities to move around, uh, employees have access to 
ongoing development, development and education, the manager, the supervisor, the director, they are the tip of the spear. It happens or it doesn't happen because of them. And so, um, uh, I think, you know, it's an old saw and the data proves it and sometimes unproves it, but it's an old saw in the HR world that people don't, employees don't leave organizations, they leave managers. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's true, sometimes that's not true, but managers wield an incredible amount of influence on the employee experience. Great point. Steve Hunt, you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, the, the point is the ability, though, for managers to engage employees is heavily constrained by or enabled by the companies that they work for. So I, I think that's one of these. It, to some degree, it's a cop-out to say that, you know, oh, employees don't quit companies, they, they quit managers. But the question is, mm. why are your, if you have managers that employees are quitting, why are they managers exactly. in your company? Aha. Aha. I totally agree with that. Yep. Good point. Now, I, I want to I move over to the topic of poaching. I have a lot of notes on it from you, Steve Hunt, and uh, I'm going to read one statement here and then have you run with it. You say, you should be glad your employees are being recruited by other companies. I'm going to stop right there. To poach, not to poach, internally, externally, who picks up the phone, your employee or the poacher? Talk to me. When is it good? When is it not so good, Steve? Well, I think that you know one of the things I was tell my team is, look, I don't want to employ people that nobody else wants to hire. Um, <laughs> You know, if you have a good team, other people are going to want to hire them. And I think what you need to say is have a really relationship with people to say, look, my commitment is to your career success. I want you to be fully engaged, and hopefully, you know, you can be fully engaged in this organization. But if for some reason you have an opportunity elsewhere, the ask that I think managers should say is, all I would ask is that you talk to me far enough in advance so that we can see if maybe there's an alternative in our company that would give you what you want. But if there isn't, let's do this managed transition. Be a supporter of that employee. Really help them. You know, if it's a better opportunity, be honest. Say, wow, that's a better opportunity for you. Let me help you get there. You know, be a reference and do it in a managed fashion. Not only that's going to create greater commitment among your other employees are going to see how you handle that as a company. Not to mention in the co- in the current economy, people come back. Yeah. You know, they may go mm-hmm. out there, and I've seen this a lot. They go out and they go, "Wow, this other company and position isn't what I thought it was." And then they come back to this organization because they know that organization, they know that manager truly has that employee's best interest. They're not trying to exploit them and hide them from opportunities. I mean, similarly, and one of the things that really drives me crazy is companies that like say, "Oh, we're not going to have talent poaching internally," which is ridiculous. If you have an employee that has an opportunity to go somewhere else in your company and you hear some manager going, oh, my employee was poached, I'm like, that's your fault, manager. Right. Right. Why didn't you know what this employee wanted to do? Why did they want to leave? It's not that they were poached. It's that you were not creating an engaging environment for them. So don't ever, I mean, whenever I hear a manager complain about my talent being poached, I'm just like, goes back to our earlier conversation, why is this person even managing people? Good point. And then not only creating an engaging environment for them, but recognizing that maybe their skills had moved to another level and they were better for a new position. Go ahead, China. I was just going to say, um, uh, I agreed every, absolutely everything Steve, Steve just said. And, and when I've led organizations where my talent was regularly, you know, others were attempting, particularly competitors were attempting to poach, I took that as the rallying sign that we were, we were winning the game. 
if we weren't winning the game, our folks wouldn't be attractive to our competitors. And, and we used that sort of as a rallying cry. And we almost, you know, I, I'm sure we didn't know every time the phone rang um, with uh, interest from a competitor, but we knew almost every time. And it got to be sort of a, a, a badge of honor amongst the team um, that they were tr- that they tried to get poached, and of course they, you know, because we were open about it, because we we took it as validation that we were the ones that were doing the best in the in the market, that we were winning the game. Why would anybody want to go to a team that wasn't winning the game? And so um, it was a you have to be pretty confident, and you have to know that you know your people are really engaged in the culture and really really committed to the mission to be that open and transparent about it. Um, but in one organization I work for, it really, really worked. And we actually didn't lose anybody to a competitor. We had people make, you know, they were in life-changing decision-making times, and we had some, you know, leave to go back to school. Um, we, had, we had one leave to start their own business. But we weren't losing our, our great team to the competitors. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's a, a, pretty, um, a pretty effective way to do it if you've got that strong culture and your team is really solid. Thank you, China. I want to introduce another topic for both of you. We're going to try and take a break around 48 after and then come back for our predictions round. I give you two a rest because you're working so hard. Question is, in, in my opening, I said it becomes painful for your organization when your prized top talent are the ones jumping ship without even a rumored whisper preceding their department. Steve Hunt, how do you get into the pipeline to hear the whisper when somebody major is about to slip out the door? They're being courted. They're being poached. They're going on secret interviews at lunchtime or on their vacation day, whatever. How do you find that out, or is that always going to be elusive? I think it's going to be elusive. If you're having those issues, basically it says you do not have an open, really trusting relationship with your employees. And, and that's a larger issue. I think one of these things, too, though, is you have to earn that trust. So I kind of go back to that example of how you manage when employees do decide to leave. And at the end of the day, sort of saying, do we, you know, all the employees are going to leave at some point. And the question is, are they going to leave in an open, managed conversation, or are they going to sort of sneak out the door? And what and when employees come into an employment relationship, historically they're somewhat skeptical because a lot of times, as soon as an employee like says, "I'm thinking of leaving," it's like, "Oh, you're disloyal," and it creates right. sort of negative, bad blood. I think that's where you really have to train managers and the company to say, "Look, we want to employ people to get job opportunities elsewhere. If you have a job opportunity elsewhere, you'd be stupid not to consider it. We just want to have a chance to have that conversation." And when an employee doesn't tell you that, sort of leaves abruptly. I think you just have to really suck it in and treat that person with absolute respect and say, hey, Mm -hmm. good luck, so that the other employees start to realize, hey, you know, these people I'm working for, they're not jerks. They're they're, they're supportive of my career and build that trust over time. Um, But when you have people, you can... Yeah, and I I think if you you have a great culture that is open and transparent, you will know your question, Bonnie. It won't be a surprise. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't and your top talent is not just sort of disappearing quietly, um, that'll happen sometimes, but then other, other times it'll happen with a big bang. You know, I'm out of here. This place mm-hmm. is awful. You're awful. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, and you'll do a find a rant online like the one I read, right, China? Ex- ex- exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when it's the hardest to be um, a thoughtful, employee-focused, culture-congruent kind of leader. 
uh, and model behavior that says, look, just as Steve, Steve said, we want everybody to have a, a great career that's fulfilling for them personally and professionally. And if we aren't delivering that, we want to help you find the next place and have that managed exit so that none of our stakeholders are burned in this process. Um, that's what an open and transparent um, management culture will do for you. Because as Steve said, people are always going to leave. You just want to be able to make sure that it's in a way that isn't destructive to any of the stakeholders in the business, and especially to the person who's leaving because, you know, the grass is greener syndrome rarely Mm -hmm. works out. Um, Lots of times, particularly younger people who are making the flip between sort of the meaning and adventure piece of work into the stability, I got to make a house payment type of, (laughs) type of, type of mindset. Um, And if they leave in a big boom, their ability to come back is gone. Their ability to get great references, not official, but otherwise, is gone. Um, And, and it, it, you know, it damages everybody, including the employee. And, and that's, I think, what great, great managers and great organizations are, are really focused on is that whether you stay or you go or you move internally, that every stakeholder involved gets better because of it. Uh, their reputation gets better. Their ability to interact in the society that they're in internally gets better and help people not to make the bad decisions to blow up their job on the way out. Thank you. I, I have a quick question for both of you, uh, a strategy question, actually. I don't know if it's done much today. Steve, I'll start with you, but used to be a lot of high-performing employee, high employees would get another job offer, go back to their manager and say, hey, I'm considering leaving and I have this package on the table. Can you match it? Can you beat it? How badly do you want to keep me? Now, let's go to that word, the D word, disloyal. How is that perceived today? Are people still doing that, Steve? And then I want China's input. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so yeah they are, and they do it because they have to, not because they want to. Um, that's a great point. That gets back to the money issue, which as mm-hmm. an organization – you know, some organizations will only give pay increases based on percentage of current salary, and, you know, they need to keep up that when the skill sets, especially in certain jobs, go up, they have to benchmark against the market and mm. go back and be willing to really pay employees what they're worth, not just in terms of markets, but also in terms of contribution to the organization. So, in a lot of companies, though, because of the way their compensation is modeled, sadly, the only way employees can get a significant increase is to leave or threaten to leave. So mm-hmm. that's, I think, one of the things that really companies have to challenge themselves, which is to say, if we were to go out and hire this person off the market right now, if they left and we went out and had to hire them, would the salary that we'd have to pay to get somebody new, would that be on par with what we're paying them now? And we should probably be paying people if they're high performers above what we'd have to pay to get a new person because a new person, frankly, isn't going to be as effective because they'd have to, you know, have time to get to competence. So, mm-hmm. you know, periodically asking yourself and saying, if, we are, if we'd have to replace this person and we'd pay more to replace them than we're currently paying them, then we should pay them more now. Good point. China, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, sometimes, though, it's really not about the money. In, in many cases, sometimes it's about being wanted. And mm-hmm. if the potential employer sees them as high-performing, 
it's easy to find out what people make and to come in with a really high offer that would turn anybody's head. But when the employee comes in and says, I've got this offer and here's what it is, the first question, you know, the, the, the answer to can you meet that isn't yes or no. It's what are you really looking for? Is it about the money? Mm-hmm. Is it about your contribution, your ability to make bigger contributions? Let's talk about what's the dissatisfaction that's happening with you right now that would make you vulnerable to this kind of an offer. And if you are, if you have a good relationship with that employee, you may hear that it's not at all about the money, which doesn't mean you don't do more, but it gives you the opportunity to satisfy whatever is the primary dissatisfier that has them pick up the phone and even have the conversation in the first place. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think you, part of that too is being very willing to make employees aware of what they're getting from your company in it, that may not be that may be different from you know money. Like I've seen in a lot of organizations, where people get offered a lot more to like go into consulting roles and be very clear to the employee and say, "Look, in your current job, you don't have to travel very much. <laughs> and in this job, you'd have to travel a lot. So that's what they're paying you for. So or something like that to make employees aware of the non-financial benefits of their current employment." But um, I, I always just say, but at the same time, though, you really don't want employees feeling like they're underpaid. Because as soon as mm-hmm. you do, it just raises a lot of difficult issues, and it makes them look externally. And as soon as they look externally, then the chances of them leaving go way up. Right. And Steve, I would I would say that you said it, it creates difficult issues, not just for the employer, but for the employee. How much does this mean to me? And do I really want to diss the people who've been good to me? And how much does money matter? You you put them on the line. I have one more point. You know what? You two have been having such a good time. I'm not even going to take a break. We've got eight minutes till the end of the show. <laughs> but before we go into, yeah, on the best shows, we just don't take a break. So there you go, Stephen and China. Now, I have one more question before we launch into your predictions, and I'm sure you have a lot of them. I'm looking at another article here. Yes, I did my homework. And this is an article by the Anita Borg Institute. They call themselves ABI. And the title is ABI Releases Report Highlighting Recommendations to Retain Women in Computing. And the subtitle Mm -hmm. is ABI Presents 10 Best Practices to Foster Retention of Women in Technical Roles Along with Strategies to Decrease Attrition. So they're talking about fostering retention, decreasing attrition, not as though it's the same exact thing, but one plus the other. So they're looking at both sides. Just a comment on this from you, China, first, and then Steve, and then we'll go to predictions. China Gorman? Uh, so in a bit of levity, karma wasn't on that list, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, so uh, the gender issue in technology uh, and the diversity issue as a whole mm-hmm. in the technology world is is really hard and it's only going to get more difficult when you're so deeply um, uh, underrepresented and and skewed towards one place, which is traditionally where the skill sets have been, where the where the degrees have been. Working your way out of that takes supreme uh, focus, intention, and investment. I don't know that we've ever seen. Um, an industry tackle a diversity imbalance this large successfully. I, I, mm-hmm. I just can't think of one that, that's done that. So this is probably one of the hardest sort of job market um, sociology issues um, that we that that we have to have to deal with, and um, it's going to be interesting to watch. 
the leaders of those organizations step up to this in significant ways or not, uh, and then see what the if they're laggard into the solutions, see what that does to their businesses, to their ability to strategically mm-hmm. grow around the world, uh, much less in the United States or whatever countries um, they're headquartered in. This is going to be a really interesting um, process to watch. And the ones who really start to make progress clearly are going to be the winners in their industry. I agree. And just a note, Steve, before you chime in, they say one study found that 50%, 56% of women technologists in the sector left over time with cumulative quit rates more than double the rate for men. That study was in 2008. And a study of women engineering graduates found that 15% never went into the engineering professions. Mm. 20% working initially in engineering left the field to other careers. Among over 1,000 women who left the engineering field, the top four reasons cited were working conditions, including lack of advancement opportunities, low pay, work-life integration, didn't like the work, and organizational climate. And we'll leave that one to the imagination. Steve Hunt, I'll give you uh, one one minute here to talk about uh, women attrition in the high-tech professions, and then we're going to go quickly to predictions. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I, I think one to China, there, I think there are industries that have made significant strides in this healthcare, for example, although certainly there are pockets where you find disproportionate men to women, but it does take a long time. Um, I think one of the, the, the key things is companies, and there's sort of a lot of research on this, <clears throat> systematically making sure we don't have hiring, promotion, and staffing processes that are biased <laughs> against women. And the reason they're biased isn't usually outright sexism. It's more... Just people tend to sort of say, we're going to hire people that look like people that have been in these jobs before. We're going to sort of have a certain assumption that if it's a male-dominated field, it's naturally going to take on more um, male-dominated cultural characteristics. And companies really kind of thinking about that and saying, how can we... How can we address that and, and really focus on it? But it's going to be really, it's going to take a long time because until you get a lot of women engineers in more senior positions, it's forever going to sort of naturally move towards being sort of a, a male dominated culture. So yeah, I think the thing that's and you, though, is it, we have to change. Yeah, and, and, I, to. and I think uh, those organizations who say, okay, it's going to take a long time, but it's going to take us less of a long time, and mm-hmm. use that as a strategic competitive advantage. China Gorman, huge. predictions, one minute, go. I think that. Um, I think that we are going to see uh, the gap widen between companies that are focused on a culture that respects their employees and appreciates them and develops them and sees um, less turnover with the organizations that don't do that. Uh, We will see turnover rising in organizations that treat people like cogs in a machine who Mm -hmm. um, see them as um, dispensable and disposable. Their turnover is going to go up, and by contrast, the organizations who are really focused on an employee, um, an employee-centric kind of culture that's going to satisfy every stakeholder in the business, that turnover is going to go down, which means those organizations with the lower turnover are going to win the competitive game, whether it's locally, nationally, or globally. Thank you. Perfect. Steve Hunt, one minute. Predictions. Crystal Ball, Go. Uh, well, I agree with what China said. I do think we might see also companies that excel at having very transactional contingent workforces, 
and they just sort of take this attitude that we're not expecting a lot of loyalty long term. We're just going to be really good at defining exactly what you want you to do, pay you more when you leave, fine. Um, a sort of a high turnover model. I think mm-hmm. we'll, we I think we'll see more of that. But I think on the other side, companies that don't treat employees right, that tolerate lousy management practices, are just simply not going to be able to keep high performing talent, and they're naturally going to. Um, I say evolution will be in action, and we'll just see companies that aren't good at management disappearing because they'll fail for lack of having good talent, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Aha, there you go. Maybe it is a good thing. Good thing. China Gorman, great place to work. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your energy and your passion. Dr. Stephen Hunt, the same thing. Steve Hunt at Success Factor. It's always a pleasure to have both of you together. I think this is your first time together on the show. I have a couple of shout-outs. Thank you to Jennifer McAdams at SAP for sponsoring Season 3 of HR Trends with Game Changers. Stephen Thorne and Sylvia Lennon both help with the topics and support the guests, and thank you very much. And, of course, our business channel team today, Michael at Voice America World Talk Radio. Coming up, let's see what we've got. Well, nothing tomorrow. We just finished Season 3 of Financial Excellence. They'll be back next year. But Wednesday morning, I'll be back with Coffee Break with Game Changers. Then Wednesday afternoon, I'll be on the air with the Internet of Things with Game Changers. In case you're wondering, how does IoT really work? Tune in and find out. We have some great experts. And Thursday morning, we'll be back with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. And those of you who know those two shows, do flipping. We will have the following Wednesday afternoon. We'll be back with the Customer Edge with Game Changers and the Thursday after that it'll be another episode of Dave Fowler's Future of Business with Game Changers. David SAP Services. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We've had a very good conversation. Hope you learned something and appreciate the talents and the expertise of my wonderful panelists China Gorman and Stephen Hunt. I say thank you to both of you and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off until Wednesday when I'll be back with Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.